welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson here, Barton Simmons right there. Barton, we've got a great visit from uh, our colleague Danny Cannell coming up in a little bit uh, as we continue on through game week. But uh, but first, a few, few news items. We, uh, we're going to begin, Barton, out in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, where uh, your, your compadre, your best friend, your, uh, your counterpart, and your mentor, Scott Frost, has a thinning quarterback room. Uh, we talked. We talked about Adrian Martinez in last week's show, and please go and listen to and and download that show because uh, it was it was the our, the last of our preseason predictions. Did it feel good to uncork all the last up bit of it? Uh, well, it felt good to be done. Like I feel like I feel like I've just been doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down on like the predictions that I made back in at this point. I don't know. July seems like a decade ago, but it's nice to just be, be freed of that necessity to continue to, to double down on these predictions. Cause I don't know, man, like I, I've, especially with my predictions, I could be, I could be looking pretty bad by week three. I, I asked that because I, I gave the episode a, a re-listen. So and I get, I, for the most part, you do that as we're trying to, uh, do the timestamps and, and write the descriptions so that you, the listener, can have as much information as possible as you go into an episode. But I, Barton, I heard some joy as we were getting it all off our chest. There were a lot of laughs in the episode. I mean, it really seemed like we enjoyed knowing that it was uh, it was like the last week. Of, it's funny, we're sitting here at the beginning of school, but like it really felt like we had a last week of classes vibe to our final preseason predictions episode. Yeah, that's true, man. The fun, the fun begins now. Yeah, like, well, because like we have to create these takes all, and and yeah, like you, it's in some point, and sometimes you kind of change your mind, and sometimes you say things that you sort of only half believe in, and I'm just glad that I can put some substance to my opinions now, like because we've been all we've been all going off of the same sort of, you know, partial information throughout the off season, and now we get to you know uh add a little add a little bit of substance to it so i'm 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 ready man i'm ready to roll all right uh as we mentioned a couple news items and we get to danny cannell shortly we mentioned adrian martinez starting quarterback at nebraska uh we both gave thumbs up to the move we liked that scott frost who's got a rebuild ahead of him going with the freshman going with the guy who he thinks can run the offense but uh, Tristan Jebbia has been granted his release. He didn't show up to practice after Adrian Martinez was announced as the starter. I believe that was breaking news that you broke on the podcast uh, on Monday's show. So now that quarterback room's pretty thin, where is your concern right now? Um, we've got a walk-on sophomore, Andrew Bunch, and uh, a walk-on who just joined the team in August named Matt Masker, and that might be a creative player. I don't know, <laughs> but how, how are we feeling about uh, Martinez and, and the Nebraska offense uh, with their current quarterback situation? You know, Andrew Bunch was, um, was a guy from Middle Tennessee, where I'm from, and put up huge numbers at Independence High School, Went to went, didn't like his options in college, went JUCO, 
uh, did the Aaron Rodgers thing and then uh, came to Nebraska as a walk-on. But all the the word has been that he's fine as as is capable. Uh, and so I, you know, he's he is better than I think people are giving him credit for. But at the same time, like my biggest thing here is I'm just surprised, and I'm always the guy that defends the quarterbacks that are transferring or anybody that's transferring. Go get yours, do what you got to do. And I'm I certainly, uh, you know, Tristan Jebbia has got every right to make the decision and more power to him. But I don't really get it. Like if I'm a he's a redshirt freshman. And he's he's leaving right now. If unless he's going to a junior college right now to actually get a season in playing, I don't understand what the what he's doing. And even if he is going to junior college, like that kid is 175 pounds soaking wet. He's he is apparently a gym rat. Great um, football IQ, like great sort of intangible. He sounds like a coach's work. son. Are you, are you yeah. going to tell me he's a coach's son next? No, he's not. A, he's, not a, <laughs> he's not a coach's son. I don't think, but he's, but he gets, but he like, uh, he has those quarterback attributes you want. So but what I'm getting at is look, you got Adrian Martinez, a redshirt or not a true freshman who has an injury history, by the way, who's a running quarterback playing in a running offense. And you are a redshirt freshman I don't know why you don't just be a backup for just a year and then you can transfer after that and like you have a – and I know you have to sit out and maybe you lose a year of eligibility, but you can go do the JUCO thing if you want to and then play a year and then get have two more years of eligibility left after that. But like this is a, like this is a value there, – there's a, there is still value in being a backup as a young quarterback and particularly – with a staff that's that's sort of one of the hot staffs in all of college football, if you are a kid that sort of has that sort of personality and and profile of someone that might end up maybe being a coach someday, and get that experience on your on your resume and in your background, I don't know. Like I just think of all the quarterback transfers, and I'm I'm typically good with them. This one just this is just a weird decision by the kid not to not to be part of a team for us for a semester. And then go explore your options, but you know what? I'm that's just my my from my from where I'm sitting. I'm not in the chair. So uh, he was a like pretty. Where did you guys have him rated coming out of? Because he's coming a, out of California. A, yeah, he was at Calabasas, and that was a big time program, or I mean, a very talent rich program, and was a four star by some, three star by us in part because we were worried about his physical upside. I mean, the kid is, is tiny, um, not short, but tiny physically and just worried about his, just, you know, how big is that arm going to be? Those sort of things, but a good player. Um, and you know, there was, I, I, in some ways I'm a little surprised Adrian Martinez is the starter to start the season. I figure that could have been a situation where he eases in as the year progresses. But again, I think it's a decisive move by Scott Frost. All right. Uh, elsewhere, Arizona has dismissed linebacker Santonio Martial. If you remember his name, it's because he was the linebacker who represented by Thomas Mars as trying to seek uh, immediate eligibility did so with an appeal to the NCAA, and in the appeal to the NCAA, he alleged uh, that the Texas A&M recruiting staff um, was... A, 
it was an allegation of NCAA violations. Now, they were NCAA violations in, uh, in law. I will ask you this as we start the conversation, because we didn't really break into this. When Santonio Martial, through his NCAA waiver uh, application process, alleged some minor NCAA violations. And for those who don't get, uh, who, who aren't putting the, the pieces together, it can get very confusing. But this is uh, essentially using a similar, not the same, but a similar path to gain immediate eligibility as some of the players who left Ole Miss. Now, they were, uh, they were initially denied. Players like Shea Patterson and Van Jefferson initially denied, then they appeal, and now they were granted immediate eligibility. So trying to say that something was wrong at Texas A&M and that's why he should get immediate eligibility, that was the, the path that he was taking. Is it, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, but it's new legislation that basically says, yes, if you can, if you can prove... I don't know if it's prove is the I don't know how the wording is, but basically, if 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 you were if you left your current your former program due to circumstances that were I don't know again I don't know the the vocabulary that was used here, but unhealthy or un you know immoral or what, whatever like you were you had some some objections to the way the program was being run, then you can potentially become eligible at your new program and again like the big takeaway and, and, I, and like some sec like I, I tweeted i tweeted this the big takeaway here is that it incentivizes people to mark on their former team in order to get eligible and some of the sec west a&m rivals on message boards are like look at barton he's he is basically writing you know doesn't care that a&m was cheating uh typical or whatever it's like all right well that's not that's not the point like this is this is not going to take down the AM program. And these are minor violations, whatever. But the point is, like, if, if you're going out there now from here moving forward and every kid that transfers is motivated to either report legitimate issues or concoct made-up issues for the purpose of getting immediate eligibility – that's that's a big change, and that's a big kind of can of worms in Pandora's box that opens up. So Martial told USA Today that he was given cash by staff members to host prospects on unofficial visits. He also claimed that the new staff, Jimbo Fisher staff, organized summer practices that were not permitted by NCAA rules and forced him to work through an ankle injury. Now, so he hit uh, impermissible benefits. He hit treatment of players by coaches. Uh, Barton, he hit all of the the hot button topics, and then um, the digital footprint got him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this. I mean, that's that. It is, that is what happens right now. If you are going to um, make yourself an enemy of any group or organization in in the sports world or elsewhere, uh if you've got anything incriminating or damaging to your credibility in your digital footprint, then it's probably going to come up. Um, do you want? Do have you seen the the huddle video? I have. Yes. Do you want to describe it? Yeah. So, uh, and this is again. So, just to to clarify here, uh, he was he had transferred to Arizona, where Kevin Sumlin obviously is a head coach, former head coach at A and M, and. Uh, just what yesterday, two days yesterday, I guess. Uh, Kevin Sumlin said he's no longer on the he's no longer on the team. 
sounds like he's dismissed. He sounds was, like he, he said we don't want you. Yes. And and what that what that uh, where that emanates from is when he transferred, he put on huddle, which is the you know where people where high school players put their their their, their prospect film. He basically recorded on a TV his game his spring game tape in order because obviously a and m wasn't going to put it up so he recorded it and then posted it to his old high school huddle account and and the recording of the film you can hear just audio in the background of him and his mom or whoever it is i don't know who there's a lady talking with him while they're recording the film and kind of half watching it and look i'll just say like he the mom or, or the woman said Oh, who is that number twenty six that you that you just tackled? And he said, uh, one of those one of those monkeys. I don't know, one of those monkeys. I mean, and so hey, we were laughing about this before. Like Texas, it, if you can trust a, a fan base to find something like some that incriminating dirt, it's going to be the Texas A Yeah, A and M is going to get that stuff done now. And and sure, I guess out there and like a And M found it. Obviously, it's been deleted since, but like the 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 screen grabs or or whatever are out there. And obviously, Kevin Sumlin is he has got no that. yeah no place for it. No yeah, way. I mean, you don't you don't that's that you don't like. There's no reason you want a kid like that on your team. And and like yeah, I mean, everyone can make a mistake. Whatever you can excuse it, I guess. But I mean, just don't be like. A pretty good rule a- across the board. Like, I don't feel bad for the kid at all. I mean, no. A, he's like, he, he left in a blaze of glory just to try to get immediate eligibility. Like, let sleeping dogs lie, man. Like, it's just go do your thing somewhere else if you don't think you can get it done at AM. Go do something, go do it somewhere else and, and be a good soldier and go to get to work. But if you've got, like, this isn't him at 13 years old. You know, just still getting out under the. No, it's him describing know, his former teammates from a, a couple as months a ago. Nineteen or twenty-year-old. Yeah. Like, just don't be racist. Yeah. That's a real simple rule to follow. Don't be over, Don't be racist. Yeah. And 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 you then this sort of things won't happen. And uh, so I, I, I this I'm I'm a, I'm again this is just like I was pro student athlete with uh, Tristan Jebby. I'm pro student athlete across the board but i don't i don't feel bad for this kid at all i here's what it does uh yes absolutely the stance of the 24 7 sports college football podcast don't be a racist (laughs) and things can be a little bit like you won't have to deal uh with these kinds of situations i i take a step back and while you and i had mentioned uh either on the podcast or maybe just in conversations that this situation was very interesting, particularly as if it would, you know, was this going to be uh, a tipping point for uh, a new incentivization? The fact that this is how the San Antonio Martial story ends makes me uh, less, not worried, but maybe um, less, uh, I have less expectations for more players to feel like they're going to be able to, uh, make their life better by ratting out a staff to try to go somewhere else. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, good luck going that route, you know, like, like you're going to get a bunch of backlash and 
and you're going to become a pariah to whatever fan base you just left. And I don't know. I don't, that doesn't, if you're willing to take that heat, I guess take it. But I think I, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel bad for the kids that do that. Um, all right. Cer- certainly not the racist ones. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, for winning picks and fantasy advice, go to Sportsline. They combine simulations with expert an- analysis, and they give you an edge all football season. Sportsline members, of which Barton and I are ones, uh, this is what you can get. Picks from experts, former handicappers in computer simulations, and deep fantasy analysis covering who you should draft, add, start, and more. Plus, members have exclusive access to daily fantasy lineups from DFS millionaire Mike McClure. Join Sportsline today and get your first month for only $1 by using the promo code PASS. Just go to sportsline.com slash join and enter promo code PASS during payment. So again, sportsline.com slash join promo code PASS, P-A-S-S, during payment to get Sportsline now for just $1. Terms apply. Visit sportsline.com slash offer for details. All right, Barton, you ready to, uh, to bring in Danny? Bring it on. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, he is the namesake of Off the Bench on CBS Sports HQ. They got more than 100 podcast episodes, and now they are live right there in the visual, 7 a.m. Watch it, CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports app on all connected devices, whether it's phone, Apple TV, Roku, uh, Danny Cannell. Danny, my man, how is the show going? It's going, man. It's going pretty good. My boy Raja is, is a great dude. We just we kind of hang around. I'm sure you guys feel this way sometimes. Like I sometimes like like pinch myself. I'm like, I can't believe this is my job. Like we could just just hang out. We talk, you know, college football. We talk NFL. We talk NBA. And it flies by every day. It's an hour, and uh, it's been awesome, man. It's been a ton of fun. The yeah, uh, but it's like a full uh, for, for you. Like for us, we just talk college ball. You go you all the way. You kind of got to be like, yeah, you have to you have to make sure your breadth of knowledge spans all sports, man. That, that's a full-time job beyond just the the talking part. There is there is a part of me and it always happens after the last game, the the you know, the the championship game. Like last year when Alabama hits their miracle pass, and then I talked to all my other buddies and you guys who are in college football. And I know you guys do a lot of stuff year round. But there's a lot of people in this business who pretty much shut it down like, for six months. And I look at them sometimes and I'm like, you know, that'd be pretty nice. That'd be kind of nice to have six months off. But I'm not built that way. Like I would go stir crazy. I'd have to get another job. Like I'd have to do real estate or something else to, to occupy my time. Because I, I like to work. Like I like to be busy. And I'm, I know you guys do too. So in the in the process, I mean, August is just takes month, right? I mean, but all, we have to come up with our opinions August 1st. And by the end of them, you know, you feel like it's just insert quarter get opinion type stuff. So where have you noticed, like where's Raja Bell's college football? Uh, you know, what are the teams that he seems to favor? You know where, where? Cause you know FIU. Like he's got yeah, his, that's his he's, squad. He's he's got yeah. his his interests there. Is there anything that you've learned about uh, your partner in crime there uh, as as we approach the college football season? So he grew up in Miami, and I didn't know this until about a month into it. I knew he was kind of a hurricane fan, but I was like, all right, is he one of these bandwagon South Florida Miami people who just you know because they had their run in the nine you know eighties nineties and 
2000s that just jumped on that bandwagon. But Raja, actually, his dad was like an assistant athletic director at Miami uh, when he was younger. So he's been a Hurricane fan for a long time. And it's actually pretty fun because I think we're going to get to go to the game together uh, when they play this year down in Miami. And, you know, he talks all kind of crazy trash about it. But he is he does root for FIU, too. Like we had Butch Davis on the show just a month ago and and Butch was at Miami when his dad was at Miami. So he knew Butch pretty well. So he I, I think there's a chance I'm trying to get Raja to come down to the Indiana game, which I'm actually calling Saturday night in Miami. Uh, when FIU takes on Indiana. So I'm trying to get Raza to come by. Maybe we can even get him for a guest appearance in the booth. Who knows? We'll see if we can make that happen. Listen, if it's in the name of promoting CBS Sports HQ, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that they'll green light it. Yes, that'd be fantastic. Uh, all right, let's let's turn our attention to uh, the upcoming season. You, when we were texting each other before uh, the show, you you pitched a great idea, and I, I want to get your answer on it. And I know that Barton and I have ours as well. Every year, uh, our colleague Dennis Dodd likes to say you can throw a blanket over the number of national championship contenders, and he says this year it might be a napkin. And so, uh, how le- how long is your list right now, Danny, on how many teams you believe have the talent in place, the experience, the coaching, everything needed to win a national championship? So... I love this conversation because I think it's very nuanced and I think you can go in a bunch of different directions with it. Like you can make the case for a lot of teams, right? Like you sure. can talk yourself into a lot of teams. But when I look at it and like, like, all right, who's the really, really teams that I believe could win it? I'd probably put it at three. <laughs> and it's Alabama, it's Clemson, and it's Ohio State, believe it or not, with all their problems that they have, you know, with Urban Meyer, they still have because basically what it boils down to are who are the most talented teams in all of college football. Now that doesn't mean like I'm I'm not like now if that's like my slim, like really slim point of view. Now, if I broaden my point of view, I would open it up to eight or ten teams that I could sit here and talk myself into and say, you know what, Wisconsin, they have a pretty manageable uh, you know, season. Uh, schedule. They've got Jonathan Taylor back. They've got Hornibrook, who looked like he had his breakout moment in the Orange Bowl against Miami. Like, I could talk myself into Wisconsin thinking they could be there. Um, Oklahoma's another team I could picture. I could talk myself back and say, hey, you know what? Lincoln Riley's offense is great. They're not going to miss a beat with Kyler Murray coming in there. I could see the Big 12 being down. I could see them coming in there and, and making a run and, and winning this thing. But really, when you put it down to like, if you had to have me put meaningful money on it and whatever that number is for anybody that's listening, if you said, all right, you can, you can only you can put this much money on only a select few of teams, I probably would only go Alabama, Clemson and Ohio State. What about, okay. which, what about so, you, Barton? Well, uh, so I think you said like it basically boils down to, to talent. But I mean, are you are you determining that talent just by eyeballing it? Because there's certainly other teams that you could sort of make a case like, I mean, you could make a case Georgia yep. has got the talent. You could make a case Michigan has got every bit the talent that Ohio State has. And you can kind of go down the list and say, like, there's some other – I mean, even, like, look, Florida State, like Chip and I were talking about this last week, like, what, they're 19th in the, in the preseason polls. Florida State was third preseason last year, and they lost their quarterback. And then they lost a bunch of close games, and the season sort of fell apart. Like, so – where like where do you sort of where's the metric of like this team is talented enough and this team isn't come from for you because I I I'm sort of of the opinion that yes like I think it's either going to be Alabama or Clemson mm-hmm. but I I believe I also like am maybe this is just a total cop out but I just think that there's a lot more teams than people are giving credit for that could 
could make that run. No one saw Georgia win a title last year, right? Right. No, and I love that. And I, I, I kind of like basically I wanted to give the real myopic view, like the really small, like, all right, these yeah. are the only teams that really have a chance because I'm with you. Like I, I knew you guys would have a good response for that, and I'm glad you did because I obviously like I'm doing my picks now, and I might not even pick Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State to be in the playoff just because it's college football, right? Like it's the yeah. best sport out there. And if it wasn't for a, a playoff committee that favored Alabama's strength of schedule – Alabama might not even had a chance to play for it last year. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, so even that being said, like I'm, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit just in in the conversation because I agree with you. There are a lot, like I think teams, I think Penn state has a team that's talented enough to do it. And I, like when I look at, so have you guys done your official predictions yet? Yes. You guys like you have, so I haven't, and I'm probably, we're probably going to do it on off the bench. I think Thursday, uh, before things get really kicked off and like, there is an equation. So obviously it's talent, but I'll, like when I look at, all right, what am I going to do? Like, who am I going to pick? Like quarterback is an extremely high, you know, value piece for me. Like if you have a quarterback who I believe can, you know, win games and has it and can play at a high level, I'm going to bump you up a ton. You know what I put like second is the schedule because yeah. it's college football. Like it's hard to go on the road no matter how good you are and win games. And Penn State has a very manageable schedule, even though they play in the toughest division in college football. Most of those tough games are at home, and the only game they have to travel to is Michigan late. And Michigan's been like this enigma. Like, are they going to be as good as we think they are or not? So I kind of look at Penn State, and I'm like, there's a lot of things that could set up their way. Um, you know, Washington is that team that you look at, and you're like, well, they were close a couple years ago, and Jake Browning's back, and Chris Peterson's a really good coach. Like, I could, I could really see myself – saying, all right, well, the Pac-12 is down. I can see Washington taking advantage of that and getting back in and having another opportunity. But I think it's a great conversation, and it's what makes college football so great. Like, even if we see Alabama-Clemson again and we saw another, you know, matchup with them, I don't think it's necessarily bad for the sport. But I do wonder, like, generally, like, from my curiosity aspect, if people on the West Coast or or Big Ten fans are tired of that matchup and wonder if it gets old. But then last year, when you look at the ratings from Alabama, Georgia, which even is more regional, they were still up. So it's it's just, I think it's a fun conversation to have when you look at the bigger picture of like, all right, who can really win this thing? So I've got seven. My list right. goes... That's probably the best, that, that's, that's probably a realistic number that I like... That I would like, I would say, yep, you're probably right. And the, and this, it's six. I feel good about, and then I'll, I'll explain uh, the big asterisks on number seven: Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Any one yep. of those three, uh, I think that for Penn State, especially, a conversation that we've had over the last two weeks is that while we don't know all the names, the team talent has changed over the last two years under James Franklin and that staff. And so, there, Penn State might be a team where we we are rushing to the depth chart in week two, week three, sort of getting to know who these guys are. But by the end of the season, you know, in in the Big Ten with the strength they have. A one-loss team, if you win the Big Ten Championship, I think that this year that is on the SEC caliber of SEC champs going to get in no matter what. We know the playoff committee. We know what they're going to do. And I think the Big Ten is on that level. So Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, that's my sixth. And this is my seventh. I always feel bad being bullish on Auburn on the off year, the year where they have to go to Georgia and to Alabama, both in November. But I love their defensive front. I like their quarterback. And if they win against Washington at the beginning of the season, 
that's one of the only other teams where I could see them being able to turn this around. They were one play away from being in the college football playoff a year – or not one play, one quarter away from being in the college football playoff a year ago. So Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Auburn. You know, Washington, they, like I feel like they could make the playoff for sure. I'm picking them to make the playoff. Oklahoma, they could make the playoff, but I don't think Washington or Oklahoma are national champions right now. Here's here's why I think Washington is in the mix, and this is a good this be a good throw to Danny here because, and this and also why I'm concerned about Wisconsin is, and I'm thinking this in my head like, what's the worst quarterback to win a national championship? And I mean, can you really envision Alex Hornibrook winning a national championship? I can't even envision Jake Browning winning a national championship. Is that is that a prerequisite? Do y'all think for for this this cycle? Because I when I'm when I'm thinking of the capable teams. They got to have a quarterback. I don't even think Clemson can win it unless Trevor Lawrence wins the job at some point. Mm. I am 100% on board with you on that one with the Trevor Lawrence making the move. I will say this because I am with Jake Browning, I am very lukewarm. Like, I like him more than Hornibrook, though. Would you agree with me on that one? Like, yes. he's done more, yes. he's proven more than Alex Hornibrook. Um, but there is something in me that looks at some of his stats that he's accrued versus lower tier opponents, how he's played when he's played against USC or the better opponents in the Pac 12. But, like, he has been there forever. Like, is there a moment where he can come, like, overcome some of that and and become that next-level quarterback? And to your question about is there a team – like, Nick Saban's the only coach that has won national championships without a top-tier quarterback. Like, until you show me, like, there's got to be – you know what I mean? Like, he's that's, yeah. that's, he's, he's just – he's the only one that's been able to do it, and it's with incredible defense, and it's incredible offensive talent surrounding that player. So I'm with you on that one. Uh, with Trevor Lawrence, so we just saw – that Kelly Bryant was named the starter versus Clemson. Do you think after week two, because they go to College Station, which I think right. is a really tricky, like trap-type feel game. And not, not even that. Like Texas A&M might be good. They brought in Jimbo to save the program, but it's a tough place to play. Do you think there's any chance we see Trevor Lawrence like sooner than week four, like right after that or in that game at some point? My, my position on this has always been that we're going to see Trevor Lawrence when they can't win – without him and and I don't know when that's going to be because it could be A&M it could be Florida State could be Miami in the in the you know ACC championship game or it might not be the playoffs like but at some point they can't win with Kelly Kelly Bryant and then it's Trevor Lawrence's job the rest of the way so I I'm just I'm I'm as curious as anybody sort of like when that point hits but I just think it will inevitably hit I am 100% on board with you with that but like how how much what kind of stones would you have to have to be Dabo Sweeney and just make that move now? Like, and I know he didn't. Like, he obviously went with a safer pick. And it, but I, I'm told, like, how can we all say this? And that yet he's watching practice every day and he's rolling forward with Kelly Bryant. Like, is, and if anything, wouldn't you be able to watch what Bama did last year and say, oh, that's, maybe if they had done that earlier or that's like, what yeah, I'm that saying. Worked. You know, yes. like, that's what I don't know. Cause I think I'm with you. Like, I think it could take that game. But what if it's too late? Like, what if he comes in? And because he is green, you know, he makes a couple interceptions in his first game when you could do that against Furman or whoever they open up with and it doesn't matter and you kind of cut your teeth in that type of game as opposed to throwing him out there in a game where you have to have him. Like that's, but I get the dilemma they're in. You know, I, it, I totally get it. If I was Dabo, I'd probably do the same thing. I don't see – yeah, I mean like it's it, – it's, I think it's fascinating because this is – the first time I can remember where this this where's this where there is this barrage of like young quarterbacks going to teams that already have established quarterbacks and being better than them, but the head coaches like we're seeing the challenge of them not being willing to pull the plug. I I I think Scott Frost like I've this 
the joke on this pod is like how I have this man crush on Scott Frost, but he, there he goes and d- does it. Like he he names Adrian Martinez a true freshman starter, and and Tristan Jebby is out of town. Well, okay, he has a he's his depth chart at quarterback now is Two. significantly worse, <laughs> but right. he's got the right guy, and that guy's gonna that's probably gonna pay off in the long run. So I I. I don't know. You say like, do you think you would have a hard time pulling the trigger? Like, I, I, I like to put myself in those shoes and say, I would pony up and 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 roll with with Trevor. But I maybe maybe I'm I'm overestimating my my gumption there. Well, here's the thing. I would if I was Scott Frost and I was taking over a program and it was yeah. a pretty you know they were in a they were in the rut and they didn't That's really fair. do much offensively. I would do it then. Um, but if I was Nick Saban or if I was Dabo and just come off a playoffs or a championship, I would have a much harder time doing that. And I think it would be a really hard because you got to remember, like these coaches do get attached to these players and they see the work they put in and they see the dedication. And you might even you might even know in the back of your mind, well, this kid is better. But look at what this guy's done for the program and look what he's right. done. And so you almost wait for him to screw up, which is a really risky proposition. Right. I mean, it's just. I, it's it's a really tough spot that these guys are in, but to their credit, they keep recruiting them. And I, I'm so I'm shocked so many of these guys are going to get uh, places, and at the confidence they must have in themselves to say to watch them, because I guarantee, like they're watching the games on Saturday, thinking I'm better than that guy, or else they wouldn't go there. Danny, did you watch the Clemson spring game? I did. <laughs> did, did like, wasn't wasn't like the the weight already on Kelly Bryant's shoulders? palpable like yes I could just feel it with every throw like the guy was just like totally in his own head right and that's why that's why I have big concerns for him moving forward but again if we're seeing that why can't Dabo see that why can't you know why can't the offensive staff for Clemson see that and be like all right just go cut it loose now I will say this it is and I was actually at the um the CBS uh college football seminar uh, just a couple weeks ago, and Gary Danielson brought up a really good point. I think he's talked about this on the air before. And he was talking about Tua Tonga-Valoa and Jalen Hurts, that kind of race that's there. And I felt this firsthand at some points in my career. When you're the backup and you've shown flashes of being great, it's a fun spot to be in. Like there is no pressure on your shoulders, right? Like you can go out there and everybody cheers for you when you come in the game. And the offense like looks at you and they're like, all right, we got to change. We got to mix up. Like let's bump it up a little bit. And everybody kind of amps up their level of play. That is a great position to play in. You know what's a totally different feel and a totally different vibe? When you're the starter and you've thrown three picks and then all of a sudden there's some other buddy, you know, there's another guy on the bench that's breathing down your neck and yeah. then you've got to go out there and do it. Or, you know, if your team is trailing, you know, by 10 and it's all on you because you kind of have a built in excuse if you're the backup. You're like, well, you know, I wasn't the starter. I'm here to prove everybody wrong. It's a whole different ball game when you are asked to be the guy. And it's just it's you never know how some players are going to respond to it. Like I've been on teams throughout my career when and it, sometimes it was me in that position, but I've been on teams where the backup looked awesome and he looked great in practice. And even, you know, preseason or in scrimmages or spring games, just cut it loose and looked awesome. Got to remember, like a starting quarterback has to play 12, 13, 14 games and you can't have an off game or else it'll cost you like it's a whole different ball game. And that's 
that's what these coaches are, I'm sure, struggling with them when they make these decisions. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Danny, because I, I wanted to pitch it to you. I'm, I've been starting to wrap my head around the idea that Dabo Sweeney, that Mike Loxley and Nick Saban at Alabama, uh, I know we've heard comments from Brian Kelly talking about Brandon Wimbush and Ian Book, and you know, even hearing words out of Georgia like uh, Jake Fromm is the guy, but Justin Fields will see time. You know, Where do you, from, from your perspective and your experience, where do you stand on the idea idea that some kind of two quarterback system maybe not alternating series maybe it's more package specific but do you think it's possible for some of these big brand name college football playoff contenders to try to go into the season playing multiple quarterbacks and having that be the plan do you think that's something that they could be successful with I do because but not for not for 13 or 14 games, not to win a national championship. There has to be some point in the season where everybody on the team has to know if you're trailing in the fourth quarter, who's our guy going to be? It's just the unique nature of the position. Like you've got to be able to step in the huddle and command it and have a presence. And you can't have any bit of doubt from the players that are in that huddle. And if it's been back and forth, whether it's all season, whether it's in that game, there's just going to be that doubt that creeps in. And then there's even worse. There's factions that form on teams. Like, hey, there's one faction that says, well, Jalen Hurts, he's our leader. He's the one who got us there. And then there's another faction that says, all right, Tua, man, did you see what he did in the national championship game? Did you see what he does in practice? I can't believe we're going with Jalen Hurts. Like, there are factions that will develop. And you can try to, you know, keep those from cropping up, but it's just human nature. I do think you will see a lot of quarterbacks play in these situations that we're talking about and a lot of it's because you can like because the NFL it's impossible because of the parity and you know there's games where you could lose if you if you goof around with the quarterback position this one in Alabama is the perfect example like I think you know Nick Saban's going to play both against Louisville because he can like it won't like even if one of them plays bad it doesn't hurt him same thing with Clemson in week one same thing with Georgia as they're rolling out like you have that luxury in college but as a quarterback myself, I would have hated it, and I think these guys hate it too, especially mm-hmm. if all of them. Can you imagine feeling any one of these guys? And I'm talking about all of them. Kelly Bryant, these three are kind of the specifics that I'm talking about. Kelly Bryant, Jalen Hurts, and then uh, Jake Fromm. Like they, they took their teams to the playoffs, did everything the coaches asked for them, and then they're having to fight for their lives again for their quarterback jobs. That would be incredibly frustrating to me if I was one of those guys. I would get – it would have me almost feeling bitter towards the coaching staff. And I'm just being 100% honest. Like I remember at Florida State when I had to compete for my job and I felt like I had earned it just from getting one start and I've had a good start. I was like, this should be my job. And yet Mark Richt and the staff were like, nope, you've got to prove it to us all the way through the spring camp and it's going to be an open competition. And it drove me nuts in the back of my mind that they wouldn't give me the confidence. But it did drive me to push me harder um, and unfortunately nowadays, and it's used by the coaches, it keeps you from transferring. You know what? That wasn't yeah. even a thought that came up in my mind, but I realized that's part of the game now that's played in college football. So I was talking about this in the office with some people, uh, and I'm, I, I'm, I would be curious your opinion here, Danny, like I'm going to put you in Jalen Hurts's shoes and, and I, I want to like make the stipulation here that it appears to be obvious to most people on the team and within the Alabama program that Tua is the better quarterback than you. All right. Mm-hmm. Like whether you're well, willing to believe that or not, like that appears to be the general consensus that's forming. And you are, and you like you're Jalen. And right now, Nick Saban is talking about being 
you know, playing both and having a role for both over the course of the season. And it just it feels like this is going to be some sort of court, two quarterback system for at least a little while, and almost like the competition extended into the season. Wouldn't you, if you're Jalen Hurts, because like, I know you've got an opinion on the transfer stuff too, wouldn't there be part of you that just says, look, coach, like I kind of get it. I'm seeing the writing on the wall right now. Let's just give it to two. I'll be in an emergency. Don't stop with this two quarterback system nonsense. Like, I'm probably going to transfer in December, and I want to keep. I want to maintain two more years of eligibility, as opposed to wasting a year of eligibility as a as a as like a role quarterback throughout this season while you figure this stuff out. Yes, I think that's completely fair, and I think that's a conversation that should have happened. And when you heard Jalen Hurts speak at the beginning of you know training camp this year, I thought that was some level of frustration from him when he said, "Look, I don't know what's going on. Like I've been kept in the dark. I don't know that." Uh, so I understood Jalen Hurts' frustrations there, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable conversation to have. And I think that would be a very mature. Um, and I think some people, some Bama fans might think that's selfish, but it, like, and I've, I'm maybe 15 years ago, I might've felt that way a little bit too, but just seeing how things have played out in the college football landscape, I think that would be a perfect, perfectly reasonable request from Jalen Hurts just to go have that conversation uh, with Nick Saban. The one thing I thought when I, when I, when I heard Jalen express like, Hey, there's been a lack of communication, like he's had different coordinators every year, you know, like and they've been in and out. He had Lane Kiffin. Uh, you know, then he had Brian Dayball and then he's got a new one in Moxley. Like, where is the coach player relationship that's not Nick Saban that he can really go, you know, talk yeah. to and have a shoulder to kind of to not to cry on, but to like bounce ideas off of and talk about his future and say, what's best for me um, long term? Because I agree with you. Like, if you're Jalen Hurts and you want to win another national championship and you want to contribute and you want to say, you know what, I'll compete no matter what. Put me on the field. And if it's only if it means I only play three games, that's fine. But if you're Jalen Hurts and you're saying, you know what, I want to be a quarterback. I want to start. I want to be a leader of a team and give me that chance. And if Tua gets hurt, then you can burn my red shirt or you can play me. Or if he plays awful and you want to play me and give me that chance to win my job back, then play me. But if we're not, stop the charade and just let me take this year off. I think that's not a, a horrible solution. Mm. As we turn our attention to week one, the first big weekend, uh, I – it, we'll, we'll hit a couple of games here before we get you out of here, but I want to start with uh, one that I, I was thinking about it. I don't know if there's going to be another football game this weekend that has more human beings on the planet Earth invested than Michigan and Notre Dame. I mean, these are two national brands. These are powerhouses. This is a, a rivalry that goes all the way back. They haven't played since 2014. Brian Kelly and Jim Harbaugh, both in the position of of leading teams that aren't at the top of anyone's contender list, but probably on everyone's dark horse list for the college football playoff. Uh, we've got Tariq Black going down with an injury. Uh, we just mentioned Notre Dame. We might see both Brandon Wimbush and Ian Book. Uh, Danny, what do you see as sort of the competing storylines or the big edges in Michigan-Notre Dame? So I love this matchup because of all those things you just mentioned. It really is like I think it's the premier game that's going on. Auburn Washington's going to be interesting for, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. But I feel like I think people are sleeping on Notre Dame. Like I don't think anybody has talked about them. I haven't seen many people put them in their playoff. And I I think I have an idea why because 
like when you look at the conference media days, when they kick off and you have the Big Ten media days, you have ACC media days, you have that, like there's no Notre Dame. They, they, they have something, but it's not as big. It doesn't command its own network. It doesn't get the exposure. And so when you do preseason picks and all these things, they kind of just get left out now in the current system, the setup, the way it's been. Um, and Michigan has had all this hype. Like they're, they're the hot pick right now. People are saying, oh, this is Jim Harbaugh's year. You get Shea Patterson. Like this is finally going to be his quarterback that he can develop. I think there's way more pressure on Michigan than there is on Notre Dame um, for kind of for all those reasons. But it doesn't diminish the fact that Brian Kelly, you know, just a year ago was on the hot seat. and We're sitting there thinking, all right, maybe this guy's not the right, right guy for the job. But I think it's like the way Jim Harbaugh has taken over the college football world as far as from the coverage that he gets, the quotes that he gives, like he's very polarizing. And I've, I've kind of summarized it this way, because I think when, when Jim Harbaugh took the job, everybody loved it. You guys, me, like all of college football was like, this is great for college football. Jim Harbaugh back to Michigan. The second year he was at the helm, I think a lot of the, the rest of the college football world outside of the Big Ten, outside of Michigan was like, all right, this guy's, you know, fun story, but now he's starting to poach our recruits in our backyard with satellite camps. And all right, you know, let's see some results on the field. Let's see if he's not overrated. And then this last year, the third year he was at Michigan, I think you started to hear a little bit of rumblings, even from Michigan faithful, saying, all right, good story, takes the kids to Europe, like great stuff, he talks a lot of trash, good face of the program, but where are the results? And I feel like that's where you are with Michigan right now. So I feel like they have a lot more at stake in this game than Notre Dame. Even though they're two high-profile programs, it'll mean a lot to both of them, I almost feel like it, it's more, it could, it could skew Michigan's season one way or another because if they win that game you're going to hear a lot of people making a push for michigan you know playoff team best in the big 10 and if they lose that game i think you're going to see a lot of people saying "Uh uh-oh you know what's going on at michigan where's this you know where's this quarterback savior um that was supposed to come in there you just i just can hear i can sense that coming uh regardless of the outcome for michigan it's going to turn their season one way or another well i mean so i agree with you do you have a hunch on sort of like, – because this is, to me, of all the games this weekend, this is sort of the hardest to call. Yeah. Because yeah, Barton's, like, <laughs> Barton's all in on Michigan. See, Barton so pushed I, all yeah, his chips yeah, in he, on the Wolverines. Here's the background. I, I, have, I have Michigan in the playoffs, and I, and I feel nice. like – Nice. Well, and I'm, and I'm like horrified by it. Like, I, <laughs> like it's, it's by far my least confident pick, and I, I, could, see, I could see Shea Patterson being this like – answer and i could see him also being disappointing and i and I, I agree with what you said about schedule and michigan schedule is brutal so i'm just like i'm like sweating this game out like to figure out whether my playoffs picks is just gone bust in week one do you do you have a like do you ex- have expectations for this game so i think even if they lose if they lose close i think they're fine and you guys said something before about the perception of the big 10 if they went out and win the Big Ten, they're in. Like I think it'll be panic if they lose and it'll be upset. And they'd have to they'd have to lose really bad for them to get kicked out, you know, to get overlooked for the playoff. My feel would be Michigan. I do feel like their defense is gonna be good. I think it's gonna be strong enough. I think no matter what you get out of quarterback from Shea Patterson, from what we've seen from Harbaugh offensively. It hasn't put a ton of pressure on the quarterbacks. Like he wants to go to that kind of old school smash mouth, like let's get physical, let's get tough, let's run it, let's do some play action. Now there will be opportunities for Shea Patterson to make plays, no doubt about it. But I do feel like I like Michigan in this game. I, I would lean their way. 
because of the indecision at quarterback, and I like Wimbush better than Book anyway, and I think that's probably what Brian Kelly will, t- or will tend to go to. But I do feel like Michigan is primed. I don't think they've been that far off. Like as much as you can sit here and criticize Michigan and say, well, you know, they haven't been all the hype, they haven't delivered, they've still been pretty good. And they do feel like they're on the cusp of something. That's why I could easily see you picking them to get to the playoffs. Like I would, I'm not, I don't think you're crazy, but it would make me nervous on the same hand. Yeah, yeah. Offensive line, they're going to have their handful with Notre Dame's front. And if that's your one position of concern for Michigan, this is a great time to tune in and see how it's going to play out the rest of the year. Totally agree. Best best yep. game of the weekend. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about that Auburn-Washington game. Uh, big four perception, big four, you know, if Washington gets the win, then all of a sudden you've got a little bit of wiggle room for the college football playoff in a, a tough Pac-12. If Washington loses, now all of a sudden you probably got to win out. Uh, Auburn, uh, you know, Dan- like Danny, what's your expectation for Jarrett Stidham this year? Huge. I like Stidham a lot. I think he can make an even bigger impact on our Auburn season than he did last year. I think people forget how hard it is to pick up an entire system and just execute it. Like it takes time. It takes reps. It takes, you know, seeing different defenses, talking with your coordinators, um, you know, the, the, the difference in getting between, all right, I know who my first receiver, my second receiver to knowing, all right, third, fourth, and really examining coverages and knowing the ins and outs of, of patterns and where to go with the football, that takes time. So I do feel like you're going to see a huge um, boost. Like I actually like the Stidham, especially from a value play, the Stidham for Heisman love that's been out there. I've seen some of it. Um, and I also think, too, because there's no doubt they lost a lot of talent in the backfield, but if there's anything you learn watching Gus Malzahn, Doesn't it's matter. his offense – is really plug and play. It really is. It's more up to the offensive line. It's more scheme than it is the talent. Now there were some special players on that offense, especially Carry On Johnson, who you know carried that team, uh, you know, so much last year. But when I look at them, I, I do think they're going to have a lot of talent for Stidham to work with. Uh, in Washington, I just look at them and I'm kind of like, man, there's a lot of pressure on them because if they lose that game, the Pac-12 is going to be written off. Like it's it's just it, it's like the the Washington is carrying the weight of the Pac-12 on their shoulders, and I talked about it earlier in this pod about how hard it is to play on the road. This is a road game for Washington. You know, it, I know it's neutral, but this is a road game playing just an hour and a half, two hours from Auburn. I am worried about Washington in this game going up with the uh, Auburn's defense and their front, you know, front seven. How are they going to be able to protect Browning? But I feel like I do this all the time. I sleep on uh, on Chris Peterson. Like he's a great coach. Time to prepare. You know, he's had all off season to look at that Auburn defense, to dissect it, to say, all right, where can we stop it? So maybe I'm overlooking Washington in this one, but I I like Auburn in this game. Yeah, I agree with you, and and yet, <laughs> you know, Chris Peterson likes it to hear us underestimating him. Of course him, so. he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. uh, I I think another game that I'm pretty fascinated by, like for. As as much as Miami is sort of this is sort of whatever pacing to be potentially a, a big year for Miami, maybe the next step for Miami. For some reason, I I got this hunch that LSU figures out a way to win this game. What where are you at with Miami LSU? I think this you know this has this is this is a I think we learned a lot about both teams in this game for sure. <laughs> I think so too. I am nervous. Being the ACC, this is what I hate. This is what I hate about the way college football has morphed into this conference, you know, pride stuff where you kind of root for your conference and stuff. I can't stand the Hurricanes because I went to Florida State. Like, they're our biggest rivalry. 
And yet, I don't want to hear it from all the SEC fanboys if LSU beats Miami in this game. And they're like, see, our, you know, one of our, our third or fourth best team in the SEC West just smacked down your Miami Hurricanes. But I am nervous for Miami in this one. I think – and what really what makes me nervous, because if you look at LSU, like they're breaking a new quarterback with Joe Burrows. They weren't very good last year. Like Ed Ogeron, like is he, you know, is he on the hot seat? And he clearly is if they lose this game and if they struggle. Like I think it is going to be an interesting year for LSU – but this game specifically makes me worried because the first game, and if you go back and watch the last couple years, Miami has struggled in openers against Bethune, Cookman, or Family. Like, they have struggled early in seasons. You can look at it and say, all right, maybe it's they were just overlooking their opponents, look at the bigger games. But for whatever reason, they've got off to some slower, sluggish starts offensively. And Malik Rozier, anytime I've talked to Mark Richt about Malik Rozier, he's kind of been like – lukewarm and he doesn't want to say it but he's like ah oh, we got to get better play out of him we got and they do they do need better play out of him um but i do like their talent across the board but you know what else is is hard for me to forget it's hard for me to get forget the last three games of last year which miami lost all three of them you know like it was a great year for them they felt like miami's back but they need to kind of get back on track in a hurry and do it against an LSU team, which has been hearing all along. Miami's going to beat them. You know, their win totals. Like, I'm sure they hear the whispers of how bad they're going to be. And they're going to play fired up. Like, I think this is a game Miami needs to try to control early. And whether that means just getting up 7-3 in the first quarter, if it's, you know, having a lead at halftime, the longer they let LSU hang around, the more they're going to be in for a dogfight towards the end of the game. My, so all I heard yeah. – well, Go ahead. I mean, all, before, before we move on, like, all I heard yeah. from the offseason – is sort of how like like I, I heard like when we talk to people around Miami, they're like, you know what, like we really we want Jaron like we're we hope Jaron what how would it phrase? Like basically we hope Jaron Williams wins the job. They're true freshman right. quarterback. Or like we 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 need him to come in and be ready to compete for that starting job. And here they are in seasons uh, starting in Malik Rozier's the quarterback again. And it's like I don't know, man. Like that, I look at every position at Miami, and it's good. Like yep. every position is good, and you get to the quarterback, and it's like uh, I don't know. Like how, how, like what's your confidence level there? Do you do you like how far away do you think you are with Malik Rozier being able to lead Miami where they want to go? Well, see, that's the thing. Like he's he's struggled with turnovers, and that will, that will drive any coach nuts. Like when you have in college, you really should be at close to a three to one touchdown interception ratio. And he, last year he had 26 and 14. Like 14 interceptions is too much when you're playing at a school like Miami where you have talent across the board. Like it's one thing if you're at Wake Forest and you're trying to make plays and just make things happen and, you know, come back from games and keep yourself in there. But when you were playing from a lead in a lot of circumstances, when you're, you know, playing against talent that you're better than and you've got a good defense, which Miami does have an incredible linebacking core, like they've been better, you can't make those mistakes. And that's probably – the the weight that Mark Richt has on his shoulders deciding, do I make a switch? And you've got a guy who's – and this is, again, like it's the easier decision to make is to stick with the quarterback who's gotten you this far. But I would say this. I think Malik Rozier has a very short leash on him and that Mark Richt would not hesitate in making a move, if it, and especially even in this game. Like if it doesn't go pretty, like make the move because it doesn't feel like Rozier has the full – you know, backing and that he is playing kind of uh, and having to look over his shoulder, which sometimes that can be a good thing. Like maybe it'll keep him from making some of these mistakes that he's made over and over and over, and it will help him be a better quarterback. But there's definitely room for improvement. And if Miami wants to, you know, to get to the playoff or win the ACC or, be, or, or beat Clemson, 
They've got to get better play out of Malik Brazier. That's, I love this game for Miami because there are not many teams on Miami's schedule, definitely just not in the ACC Coastal this year, especially with Virginia Tech taking a little bit of a step back. There's just not a lot of teams on Miami's schedule that are going to be able to mimic uh, what you're going to see out of a Florida State or what you're going to see out of a Clemson or what you're going to see out of, you know, if you're trying to think that far, even the college football playoff. And we'll know right away because uh, – Greedy Williams is one of the best cornerbacks in the country for LSU, and that is one of the only players that can neutralize the threat that I'm, I think Amon Richards is going to be the best wide receiver in the ACC, but I think he, he's going to struggle in this opener. Yeah, I'm with you. And when you look at Miami's schedule, it makes me nervous. It's not really the Florida State game. It's not really um, even the Virginia Tech game. Uh, it's it's like the at Boston the College. Night, yeah, the Friday <laughs> night at Boston College game. That one terrifies me. And I know a lot of people are on BC. You got to remember, like, it still is Boston College. They don't have the talent to match up across the board. But, man, does Adazio get him to play hard. And they live for those primetime matchups on the national stage, which will be on a Friday night against a team they're supposed to lose to. Like, they live for that. So that game – and especially, I mean, you've literally like, – Miami lost to Pitt last year, and Pitt was awful. Like, you got to, like – that's what makes me concerned about Miami, their focus level, like staying fine-tuned throughout the whole season um, in addition to the quarterback position. But I am with you. Like, I, they need to – they could easily – with their schedule, it's not tough. Like, they should be in the ACC title game, but just, you know, stay focused. Don't lose track of the end goal, which is getting there. All right, so what are you expecting from the atmosphere at the Doak on Monday night for the debut of Willie Taggart? It's going to be – lit is that what the kids are saying now like i think lit af that's what it's gonna be um so willie taggart the one thing he's done and it's palpable like i was there in the spring there is such a different vibe and a different energy and a different tempo and about everything not only on the field but like guys like they're infused with this upbeat optimism and it's great and the fan base is the boosters are everything's golden in tallahassee right now I am a little bit nervous about the game against Virginia Tech on Monday night. I think they'll win. Well, you know what else scares me is the Vegas win total. Have you guys seen some of these sports books? You can get them. You can actually find a bet where it's seven and a half on Florida State. My inclination is always, well, if Vegas has that there, like the obvious thing is, oh, it's easy. Take Florida State the over. But man, that makes me nervous that they're there. So DeAndre Francois, I think, was the better decision for what Willie Taggart wants to do. DeAndre's a little bit more mobile. I think he's used to running a system similar to that um, back in his high school days. So I think he's the right guy for that. Um, my only question with Willie Taggart is game day adjustments, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense did lose a lot of talent. So they do have, they are breaking in some new guys, but I think you're able to have the athletes that are out there kind of go out there and you can go get the football. But offensively, I'm a little bit worried. Not worried. I just, I'm curious to see how it unfolds for Willie Taggart on game day. They want to go fast. They want to go up-tempo. When you go three and out up-tempo, it puts a lot of stress on your defense. And you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm very curious to watch Florida State and see how that unfolds. That sounded less <laughs> bullish than I thought you would. Well, like I, I feel like, but I'm with you. Like when you, Because earlier we were talking about well, you got, this team was ranked third last year, and they had a ton of talent, and they just lost DeAndre Francois, and then the season fell apart. So I totally understand that. I totally agree with that. But there's just – got to go out there and do it. You know, like there's definitely been a honeymoon phase. But, you know, it's Florida State. There's a high expectation. There's, there is a target on your back whether you like it or not. And they got – you know, they have 
some tough games on their schedule. Going to Miami, Clemson at home. Um, you know, they got the BC game. It's at home this year, but that's a tough one. It feels to me, you guys tell me if you think I'm crazy. It feels to me like Virginia Tech is a must-win game for Willie Taggart. Yes. Night. Yes. No, yeah. there, there is not an option to lose that game right. on a Monday right. night with the entire country uh, watching. No, yes. that, losing right. that game but, is not an option. And you know what's going to happen is if things aren't going well, uh, then they're just going to put the ball in Cam Akers' hands uh, right. three, t- three times for every four downs. Right. Oh, my God. I forgot their schedule. They go to Notre Dame yeah. and Florida at home in the last game. Like, their schedule is pretty brutal. So you can see there where – I see where the win total comes from. Yeah. yeah. That's that, – I mean, like, I think that Clemson at Notre Dame, maybe even at NC State and at Miami, like a very good Florida State team could go 8-4 and four this year. Right. And so, they – I agree with you. Well, all right. So, Florida – yes, uh, it's, a, it's a must-win game. Like, I'm over – I'm going to have to be the only person – it's got Florida State's back on this phone call here. <laughs> I, like, there's a must-win game, but they're going to win it. Like, they're going to beat Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech got all these new guys, like, they're, they're trying to break in in the secondary. Like, you trust Josh Jackson against that defense? I mean, not, not that this, that defense is, like, has, you know, capital T-H-A-T in front of it yet. But, I mean, this is a talented group. And, and Danny, like, I'll throw this at you, too. Like, because I know you, you, like, you know a lot of people around that program. I always... I, I think I mentioned this on the pod maybe this week, but like I always sort of my ears perk up when you see like UCLA. I think UCLA's got a long way to go because I talked to people outgoing from that program who were like, yeah, left the cupboard a little bare. And it's like usually the outgoing staff is like, we left it loaded. They should win now. The incoming staff says, oh man, it's going to take some time. At Florida State, like, it sounds like they're excited about the roster they inherited. Like they think there's really good players here. And to, for them to be saying that, like, I mean, Cam Akers, Jimbo had the old, yeah, he, Jimbo pulled the old, like Dalvin cook sort of let's work, let's slowly work him in last year. And now he's going to be a sophomore for Willie Taggart. If for a guy that's been pretty good about feature in the running back position, the past few stops, like, I don't know, man, like I I'm sitting here trying to like, temper my expectations but i think florida i keep on talking myself into them the closer we get to the season i'm i'm with you like i i think he did inherit a really good situation as far as talent goes but there is a lot to it like deandre francois hasn't played in a year either like i think sometimes it's easy just to assume oh he's gonna walk while it's in there he's gonna be fine he's gonna return to form you know it's a new system he's back from an acl like there's going to be some growing pains when he's out there look i i'm picking florida state to win the game I'm just saying it makes me nervous for Florida State, and I do think it is a must-win game for the Seminoles. Like, does that make sense? Like, I and I like I, I actually I think the over is a play that I would take. Like, I I am optimistic about Florida State season, but I am just there's a there's a part of me that says like so I, and I this and it's everything. Like, I kind of feel the role of contrarian a lot, and like I talk to so many Florida State fans, and they're so excited, and I'm just like, just slow down. It takes time. Like, there's a process. You got to get the guy. You got to get used to everything. So there's a part of me that's trying to like temper my expectations of Florida State, saying, you know what? They're not in the same class of Clemson. They were three years ago, four years ago. They're not now. And Willie Taggart has to get them back to there. That's why, like, I don't think I would have been worried about this game at all a few years ago. And now I am. And I think it just it's kind of a it's a reset for Florida State when you lose your coach and you're starting with a new one. And I think those are normal feelings to have. He is Danny Cannell on Twitter. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can see him 7 a.m. Eastern time off the bench with Roger Bell. Uh, you can download the podcast, and if you're not able to catch it live, it is a very, very good listen. Danny, man, this has been great. Thank you so much. 
guys are the best, man. Thanks for having me on.